The Spiritual Freedom Show with Richard Lawrence, where politics is not the answer, materialism counts for nothing, and spirituality will set you free. Welcome to The Spiritual Freedom Show. This is an ethereal podcast, and we're also syndicated on other radio networks, including Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, WTRM, The Trim Radio Network, Transformation Talk Radio, home of the Dr. Pat Show, and Oneness Talk Radio. Well, today I'm absolutely delighted to say we're going to be joined with two good friends of mine from New Zealand, appearing live from New Zealand in Auckland. Uh, That is Frank McManus and Elizabeth Martin, and they're going to be telling us their moment of truth and their guest presentation of a spiritual practice. And as always, we have our producer, Darren Ball, uh, with us, of course. And it's a jolly good thing that he is here because he's really running this show. And he'll have various questions. And thank you so much for all the questions and the comments which have been coming in. We really do appreciate them. I know Darren answers them all and he'll read them out. And I don't know what's going to be read out or what's going to be asked or said prior to any show. So it's completely spontaneous. And I think that's a much, much better way of doing it, and hopefully it comes over that way. Um, One of the things we have been asked uh, is about different forms of service because, as you'll know, if you listen to this show regularly, we're hammering home the theme of service. It's the absolute core. It's the jewel in the rock of attainment, as we always say at the end of a show. And people say, well, you know, what forms of service are there? and, and, And really, you don't have to look too far to see them, do you? But at the start of the show, as you might note, we say uh, materialism doesn't belong on this, counts for nothing, I think we say, on this show, Uh, by which we don't mean material things, we mean materialism. In other words, the belief and the way of life that signifies that the only thing that matters and the only thing that really exists are material things, physical things. That's materialism. And no belief in the soul, no belief in the spirit, no belief in even the higher nature, uh, the aura, and so on. And, of course, that really does count for nothing on our show. But material things do matter, and you can give tremendous service through in material ways. And I was once asked on a TV show, what, what would I recommend if people didn't know whether to do spiritual service or whether they should do a material form of service? I thought it was a very good question. Um, My answer was that I think if they believe in it, they should do spiritual service because far less people on this earth are inclined to do that or have the belief or the the real motivation to do it. And it's the most needed commodity, spiritual energy. But that doesn't mean to say that material service isn't absolutely essential. In fact, I would say there are some people who don't believe in God don't believe in spirituality per se, or they think they don't. Um, they, they are probably an atheist, and yet they go out into God-forsaken, you might say, regions, terrible parts of our world, and I'm afraid there are some terrible parts of our world, 
and give fantastic service, sacrifice possibly their lives even in certain cases uh, in doing so. And I would say they are being more spiritual than some people who are in a cave or in a retreat or in a forest location or perhaps a special kind of ashram just focused on their own development. So I just wanted to make that point right at the beginning of the show because this particular program or show is devoted to the fact that service is love in practical action. And as you know, we are very, very fortunate on the Spiritual Freedom Show to be able to play short extracts from the nine freedoms. Uh, The nine freedoms is, uh, as far as we're concerned, the greatest, uh, the most important set of teachings ever given to this world of, of their kind or of any kind, really. And that's a statement not made by me, but made by the Master Etherius himself shortly after they were delivered, the Master Etherius being another communicator through Dr. George King, as well as, of course, Mars Sector 6, another communicator who delivered the nine freedoms. Uh, so the Master Etherius made that statement, and I quote, you have indeed received the most important teachings yet given to terror, which means earth. I refer, of course, to the nine freedoms. And he goes on to say, plant them with the greatest care in your heart and in your super consciousness so that they may grow, so that they may blossom and give forth even further seeds to grow and blossom and multiply so that your whole conception may be changed. Your outlook may be risen. Your horizons may be made broader so that you may look with a brave eye into your future. That, I think, really summarizes exactly what we're trying to do on this particular show. We're trying to help people to plant these seeds of great wisdom in their hearts, all of us, in fact, so they can blossom and give forth greater seeds and multiply, and our conception will be changed, will be risen, our horizons will be broader, and we, we may look with a brave eye into our future. So let's start straight away then, as we are allowed to do with the permission I'm very grateful for of the international directors, by playing a short extract from the third freedom in this case, as delivered by Mars Sector 6 over 60 years ago through Dr. George King, lasts for just over a minute, and this sets the tone and the theme of today's show. So Darren, could you please play our first extract? There are no words great enough to describe the wonder of service. And no words can describe the crime of selfishness. Know this, whether you like it or not, does not matter. It is the truth. I, Mars, do declare it as such. If you believe it not, Today, terrestrial man, you will know it in your morrow. 
what is service but a love in practical action? Love in practical action. By the way, as an aside, you may have noticed there a statement as follows. I, Mars, do declare it as such. Not I, Mars, Sector 6, but I, Mars. Uh, I think that is a lot of food for thought there, perhaps for another time and another place, but I thought I'd just draw your attention to that. He uh, is speaking there, it seems, for Mars. So, uh, of course, that's the planet with which Mars Sector 6 is connected, but it's quite a revealing statement, I think you'll agree. Anyway, back to our theme. And last in the last show, I think we came up with something that, as far as I know, has never been highlighted before anywhere. I'm, I stand to be corrected on that. And that is the fact that if you look at the eight limbs of yoga, for those of you who know about yoga, those of you who know about Raja Yoga, uh, which is the, taught by many of the great yogis, and all of them, Sivananda, Vivekananda, Paramahansa, Yogananda, Sri Aurobindo, you, you could go through a list. All of them look back to the aphorisms of Patanjali or Patanjali, uh, in which the eight limbs of yoga are given. Now, uh, without going through all those, because they are an old age teaching, doesn't mean they don't work, but they have been transformed they have been changed by the nine freedoms and i think that's one of the really interesting things that's coming out in the spiritual freedom show these changes these changes of priority and of course at the heart of those changes always is service which is love in practical action and the seventh limb of yoga as taught by all those yogis is dhyana d-h-y-a-n-a in sanskrit which is translated by them to mean meditation uh, in the nine freedoms as we discovered last week and it's in the fourth freedom that stage that stage just prior to samadhi which is the eighth limb is replaced by contemplation uh, because dr king really equates meditation now with samadhi uh, obviously there are different uh, levels before you attain the highest level which he attained very rarely attained actually of meditation but it's moved up a notch you might say that use of that word and until then you don't in fact you're not even encouraged and this is where the love in practical action comes in to go into seclusion uh, you can practice what contemplation means it may sound like a, a very solitary thing contemplation but in fact as an ability, and I can't do better than recommend you to the lecture, concentration, contemplation, meditation. Um, and you might remember, by the way, from the last show, that it's at that stage that the door to enlightenment opens, not at the meditation stage, at the contemplation stage. And that's something which can be practiced in service. You don't need now to be in a meditative uh, asana or a... A, a secret location or a private location or a solitary one. You could be helping others. You could be healing and contemplating if it helped in your healing work. You could be working because let's face it, you could replace the word service with the word work. It's just that the work is selfless. It's not done for your own income. 
Uh, there may be some needs that have to be taken care of. Financial needs might be a part of it, and probably they won't be. They certainly won't be the main part of it or the whole part of it because it's done in service. It's still work. Um, and that is, I think, vital. I think the spiritual practices are absolutely vital. We know that. But so is work. And there are many, many causes that one can work for. But in that work and in that uh, service, in certain forms of prayer, uh, it depends what you're doing exactly, certain forms of healing, you can use your contemplative abilities now as an active thing, no longer as, if you like, a passive, inward-looking thing alone. And that is a massive change. It's a very big change, a very significant one. And I, as I say, I do repeat, I don't think it's been uh, specified in this way prior to the Spiritual Freedom Show. I could be wrong, and I do stand to be corrected. It's there, of course, if you look for it in the Nine Freedoms and in the brilliant lectures on the Nine Freedoms by Dr. King. But we're now, we have the opportunity, I think, on the Spiritual Freedom Show to take these short extracts and to spend longer time on them and to really hone down and bring out points just like that one. Now, love in practical action is a good example of this, because let me just remind you, or if you're not familiar with it, tell you a definition of love in an earlier freedom, the second freedom. Now, just also to remind you, the earlier freedoms were not necessarily given in order, in, in a strict order of importance. Uh, that's something that St. Guling said right from the beginning, St. Guling being the ascended master who introduced them. So you have cross-referencing, certainly between the first four. When you come to the higher ones, and you might say, well, you know, how, how can the seventh freedom or the interplanetary existence or Saturnian existence be applied to my life? Um, is it just telling us what great gods are doing? Yes, it is. But I think it must have been given to us for a reason, as something to use. And it's interesting that the path we are now given, which is different from the path that was given to most of us for advancement anyway, the advanced path uh, a thousand years ago, which was a meditative path, the path now given is in tune, uh, much more in tune, I would suggest, with these higher beings. And so we can apply some of the lessons from these higher freedoms. But in the second freedom, there's a, a really key description of love, what love really is, not what people think it is. And I now read this to you. Know this for your contemplations. The chakra in the heart has two faces. By the way, those used to be called petals, the lotus petals, but two faces, says Marcetta Six. The chakra in the throat has one face. The chakra in the forehead has three faces. In each and all is the energy called love manifested, but in different degrees. A basic rise of the power you call kundalini tends to partially activate one face of the heart chakra. This often manifests itself as childish emotion, sometimes referred to as sentiment. This is not the love I speak of. The love I speak of radiates from the two faces in balance, from the throat center, from the three, uh, actually says from the centers in the forehead, and you, I remind you there are three of those, from all faces in balance, this terrestrial man is love. Now, I read that out because that 
bears a lot of examination. And I think on a future spiritual freedom show, we're going to really examine that from a mystical point of view, the chakras, the kundalini, what that really means. But for the moment, you can see that Mars Sector 6 doesn't see love as a, as a vague thing, as an academic thing, uh, as um, an emotional thing. Uh, it's a, a very advanced mystical thing at its real highest sense, the sense we should be aspiring towards. And you can see then what I'm saying there about service and love in practical action manifesting our own development at the very self-same time, using our own development. All those centers, the heart center, the throat center, the Christ center, or third eye, being awakened when we really manifest love and being used, and they'd have to be opened to be used. So these two things, the and I think this is a wonderful, wonderful thing myself, that the, the, the most, the greatest thing, obviously, is service. I think that's obvious. Helping others has got to be the best thing any of us can do. And helping those we don't know, helping those who have no relations of ours, or that we'll probably never meet. Wonderful thing to do. But going hand in hand with that kind of action is our own development, our own awakening. And there's a mystical depiction of it, of the chakras and the kundalini in the process. It all goes together. And you don't have to go off into a retreat now to get to a certain stage. When it comes to the samadhi stage, yes, we would have to sit uh, in a secluded place. We wouldn't actually be able to walk anyway. That's a very mystical condition, which, again, Dr. King has described in detail in the Nine Freedoms if you look at the commentary on the Fourth Freedom. So that's our start with services, love in practical action. Uh, and it's my great pleasure now to welcome Darren Ball. I say welcome. He started the whole show off because uh, he's on the, on the control panel. But welcome, Darren Ball. Hi, Richard, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Um, do definitely leave us a comment on our website. That's atheorist.org. Or write in to spiritualfreedom at richardlawrence.co.uk. If you'd like your questions answered on the show, we love hearing from you. I know I speak for Richard and myself on that. With any of your comments, your stories, any of your experiences, in fact, that you'd like to share. And do also check out Richard's website. That's richardlawrence.co.uk for more info about him, as well as other podcasts and interviews that he's done on shows around the world. Uh, well, Richard, I'm going to paraphrase our first question here, actually. We had a, um, a, a new listener write in after a recent show on the theme of service and asked about specific examples of the spiritual service that people can do. But what I thought would be helpful for people, given what you've just been talking about here so far on the show, is maybe a few points specifically on using contemplation in service, since this is the big change that uh, you've described. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, let, let's just remind ourselves what contemplation is. Uh, and it's, it's an awakening of the psychic nature within ourselves and the ability to draw to ourselves information about whatever we're concentrating on through the ethers. That's how I'd possibly summarize it, Darren. So if you're engaged in work, I mean, personally, I, I, I try at least to use it all the time. Uh, we're trying to, you know, judge, often decide, make decisions about timing, decisions about dates, decisions. Uh, let's, but let's give a practical example for people. If you're dealing with, with people in your work, in your service, in your spiritual work, you're trying to help them. You're trying to guide them. If you're able to draw 
more insights into them through contemplating in a very natural way, not by peeling off and sitting down and closing your eyes, but while you're with them, as it just becomes part of your life, um, then, of course, you can help them more. Um, it helps with decision-making. It certainly can help with healing. You can be guided um, as to where a person, they, they might tell you their illness and you'll certainly treat it, but you might be guided, and this has certainly happened to me, to also treat another part of their anatomy just at a contemplative level or a psychic level and this can help them too and just general guidance that you can receive you could because you know with the concentration yes you can assess all the information that's made available to you and if you're really good at concentration and you need to be before you can really contemplate successfully and some people make a mistake with that that's really helpful but it's limited it's limited the information at your disposal Contemplation enables you to draw on, on the sea of mind, as it were, and, and access information which hasn't been presented to you, which you can then use to help others in service, um, in, in, your, in all aspects of work, I would say, Darren. Yeah, I think that, that explanation really resonates with me. I certainly find, you know, I, I help with a lot of writing on our website, for example, and yeah. I'll, I'll find, you know, in the course of writing that you'll just, you'll just feel all of this inspiration that you can that you can draw and, and put down and actually um i remember i was i was working some of the other day i think i was i think i was actually working on the spiritual freedom show i think it was the one about um uh i think it was about solar existence and um i just suddenly had this breakthrough about some other thing i was working on you know just in the course of work you know focusing on that vibration and yeah. so i think um certainly this it, it opens up for us as you say this inspiration that can help us in our spiritual service work, whatever it is that we're doing. Yeah, and I'm not, let me give just one concrete example. Let's say you're a teacher or you're giving a lecture or even a broadcast. Um, you might, people can't always ask you the question at the very moment that you, you may not be open to questions at that point. And sometimes, and this has happened many times, I, I've experienced this and I'm sure others have too. You'll pick up a particular question which you haven't been asked but it's there in the ethers and you answer it as in, in the course of your talk or in the course of your presentation. And, it, you know, that's because you've been able to detect. You might not think, oh, I'm picking this up and I'm, you might just do it naturally. But it's still a contemplative ability where you've tuned into your audience and you kind of know the information they require because of your, your natural contemplation while speaking on a particular topic. Mm, I think that ha even happened a couple of times on the show uh, with questions yeah. that I've had for you. Yeah, so yeah. certainly. Yeah. Happens so. quite commonly. That's, that's very good. So we'll be hearing much more from Darren later on uh, with more questions. But it's my absolute pleasure now to introduce our first guest who's going to give us what we call on the show his MOT, which is his moment of truth. And he's all the way from New Zealand. He's in New Zealand right now joining us. It's Frank McManus. I've known him for, oh, goodness knows, over 40 years. And he's been a member of the Ethereum Society for that time. He's on the staff team in Auckland since 1985. He's a man of many talents. He's a bishop in the Ethereum Churches for New Zealand and Australia. He's been running workshops on spiritual subjects for over 30 years. He's spoken on TV and radio about the teachings of Dr. King. He runs his own maintenance business. He's qualified as a naturopath, a massage therapist, a reflexologist. Uh, he holds a first Dan Black belt in Choi Kwang Do. My goodness, Frank, you'll have to give me a list of what else you do. But I'm delighted to say that today he's going to share with us part of his spiritual journey, his moment of 
truth. Welcome, Frank. Well, thank you very, very much for that glowing welcome, Richard. And it's a great privilege to be on this show and uh, to share a little bit of wisdom with you all. Um, my journey in spirituality started early in life, probably 17 years old. I was born in a little town called Tokoroa, and uh, I was searching, even from an early age, I've, part of me is to think, why am I here in this little town? Goodness knows why, as a young child, I thought those thoughts, but I did. And I went through many different um, experiences, and they led me to this search. And it was, a, it was a great disturbance in my mind to try and find out the reason for life. And there can't be all that there is just to be in Tokara and to follow in the footsteps of my parents. And it started me on a journey of searching all these different philosophies, it seemed like I was going back, and as I studied some of these philosophies of ancient uh, India, of uh, mysticism in the West, theosophy, the arcane school, and so many, many others, I was searching all through them. And a lot of them resonated with me, but something inside me told, they weren't, told me they weren't really what I was looking for. I was looking for something, and I felt it. I wanted to find a society that was in cooperation with cosmic beings or the masters of the earth. Specifically, I wanted to have a society, find a society that had some connection between space. I knew there was some connection between space and the spiritual traditions of the earth. I just instinctively knew this. And above all, I wanted to find some path of, to be of service. I wanted to make a mark, do something in the world to help the world because I could see the world was in a mess. I really felt this at an early age. That's why I entered vet school. I wanted to be, had aspirations to be one of these natural healing type vets. And it was at vet school that a great change came about me. I spent a lot of the money on books and I was searching. I couldn't find it. And I happened to come across this library called the Triangle Library, which was um, an adjunct to the arcane school and there in the in the uh, catalog was a tape it was called the holy mountains of the world by shirley agcock so i hired this tape and it arrived and i listened to it and it blew my mind because here i could see it straight away there was all of this i was looking for was a part of it was there so i made some contact there was a address for the european headquarters and I wrote to them. I got a letter from, I believe, John Holder at the time. And I ordered the book, The Nine Freedoms, and I made contact. And strangely enough, I had a vivid dream about meeting these two ladies. And when I finally met them in Auckland, Margaret and Deanne, I recognized them. So the book arrived, The Nine Freedoms, going back, and I was at vet school. I read the book and... I couldn't put it down. It started, the reading started after uh, my classes and I read through the night, right through the night. The dawn rose and I knew my life had changed completely. It was like a great window, a vista had opened up to me and I think I had to follow this door that had opened. And vet school went out the, the door, of course, and I moved to Auckland. My first of all, I got involved in the pilgrimages, and this was the holy mountains of the world. And I, uh, there was a mountain in New Zealand, Mount Wakefield. So I went on the first pilgrimage in 1978. 1979 arrived, the second pilgrimage, 
We'd found the charged spot by then. And the first pilgrimage had happened on the Saturday, and I think it was a Sunday, and me and another young member decided we are going to climb again this mountain. It's a beautiful place. We started climbing. This was an amazing experience for me, but it reinforced the cosmic aspect of the Ethereum Society and its connection with extraterrestrial life. And the wind started to blow up. It got stronger and stronger, and a, a tremendous impulse into my mind, go no further. And it got stronger and stronger, and I finally said, we've got to stop where we are. And it was about half a kilometre from the charged spot. I could see it from the right, out of my, this, my right eye, <clears throat> corner of my eye. We, we did a 12 blessing service. I closed my eyes, and as we started the service, Tremendous power started to flow, and then it was almost like a screen opened up in my mind, like a window, a, a curtain screen. And right above the charged spot, there was a beautiful scout craft. And my friend had seen the scout craft, he told me later, fly over the valley and towards the charged spot of the mountain. Needless to say, the, the service was tremendously powerful, and after it, the whole mountain was covered in a violet flame, which I could easily see with my eyes open. We were on cloud nine by then. Any um, thought that these mountains weren't charged went straight out the door. Any thought in my mind that they weren't connected to extraterrestrial beings went out the door. That was an amazing experience. Many years later, after getting involved in Operation Prayer Power and getting it here in New Zealand, another aspect of service. I heard a talk by Dr. King. He said that the human mind is a bit like a dirty pool. And one of the ways to separate the, mind, the consciousness from the connections, the dirt in the pool, is through tremendous agitation. And I had a living experience of this after Operation Prayer Power many years ago when we were at the old premises. We used to do the mantra. I was praying my heart out, doing the mantra intensely. Tremendous activity. We'd sit down for lunch, a group of young people, and this experience came over me. And it was almost like a heart attack in a sense, but without pain. And it got stronger and stronger and stronger. I couldn't stay at the table. I had to walk out and I went out under the tree and this incredible experience came about where I actually felt that there was this presence inside me and it was all around me. And there was another part of me, really, and it was ancient and wise beyond my meager understanding. It was me, but it wasn't. And this, this presence within me, through the heart, was this colossal feeling of love and I felt like I was one with everything, the trees around me. It was a mystical experience, I realized there. But it was brought about by an activity of tremendous service, Operation Prayer Power. So that's another wow. experience that I had. And uh, these are many, many, but I thought three that proved to me that the path I was on was a truly amazing path. That's fantastic, Frank. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and absolutely illustrating, in fact, as it turns out, the theme of this particular show, love, service is love in practical action, and also illustrating something I was talking about there, which is 
the contemplative side of, uh, and I didn't know, I hadn't had, hadn't had that experience given to me before this show, by the way. So when I was talking about the mystical experience of love from the second freedom, I didn't know Frank was going to share that with us. Clearly, he was feeling this love, but it was tied into service. Um, so thank you so much for that, Frank McManus uh, in New Zealand. So we're now moving on to our second extract, still on this theme of services, love in practical action. And we're going to hear again uh, one minute and 44 seconds of Mars Sector 6. Service is the result of applied spiritual logic. It is the lasting flower in the garden of enlightenment. It is the jewel in the rock of attainment. There are many ways to serve upon terror. Look around you and see ignorance, suffering, want, hate, greed, selfishness, war, murder, robbery, violence in every form. See how people, the young ones, are being deluded. Service is the result of applied spiritual logic. I must admit, I absolutely love that concept. And I love the fact that the intuitive aspect of our being meets the logical aspect of our being. Uh, they aren't two different things. They're, I suppose they're two different approaches, but they become fused. And especially when we go towards higher uh, enlightenment. Um, and it's clearly obvious that service is the result of applied spiritual logic. I may have uh, shared this with some of you before, some listeners before, and if so, forgive me, but I think it's a story worth repeating. It's a story that was told to me by my very good friend, Alan Mosley, who uh, was a bishop in the Ethereum churches, is now on the other realms, um, and I'm sure very active there too, uh, because he passed on some years ago. But he told me about uh, an experience that he had on Holston Down, another of the holy mountains that Frank was just talking about there. And it was a pilgrimage. I was at the pilgrimage, but it was in the, I think, early 70s. So I was very new then to uh, these things. I wasn't in the inner circle at that point, as you might say. But Alan was with Dr. King at his side at this time. And Dr. King was running the pilgrimage. And a yogi uh, decided to turn up to the pilgrimage with some of his chalers or disciples 
Uh, he was wearing long robes. Um, and, and all respect to him for turning up to this pilgrimage, which was all about sending prayer, mantra, healing out to the world as a whole. That was its purpose. So he approached Dr. King, he went straight up to Dr. King, and he said these words, I've been to the Godhead. Dr. King, according to Alan, immediately replied by saying, did you take your hat off? Which was a typical um, comical remark, um, and also I think a bit of a lesson, um, because he was a believer not in, in in as it were shouting these things from the rooftop if you have then you know it and you don't really need to say it anyway after he'd said that dr king did turn to the yogi and he said look if you've been to the godhead then you know that all things are one and if all things are one and we're one and a part of all things the only logical thing to do is to serve and it is logical if you think about it I actually think that certainly in the West, particularly in the West, probably not only in the West, where some philosophers have gone wrong with their so-called logic at times is they have mixed up complexity with depth. They think getting more and more complicated, and some of the early Greek philosophers were really using mathematical systems for their logic. Um, they think that getting complicated means you're providing more depth. You are not. In fact, what you can find is that in simplicity, there are levels and levels and levels of depths of realization. You could come to that point of realizing that all things are one through a mystical state, through a contemplative state, and eventually through a meditative state. But you can also do it through spiritual logic. And I think that is, you know, a wonderful fact because there's no disparity between the, the two. Uh, there, there's a, an attempt sometimes by a more materialistic sort of person to say there's a difference between, you know, the religious approach and the um, intellectual approach, for example. No, at its height, the logical approach and the intuitive approach reach absolutely the same point. I have to say the intuition can go further but then the logic can explain, uh, analyze, and present the results of that intuitive realization. So the mystic who talks of oneness, uh, as any mystic worth their salt would, but doesn't serve, is spouting spiritual logic, but not applying it. Because the only way to apply it would be through service. If we're part of all things, if in reality we're just as related to a child in the Congo as we are to our own relatives in England or another country and indeed to the animal kingdom and even to the natural world, if you want to take it far enough, even inanimate objects, we would serve all life in the best possible way. Now, even And I'm sure some of you have found this. A car can respond to love, love energy, in a positive way. doesn't mean you don't need a mechanic, but it can. Uh, so it's all life. And not just for the sake of our future on this planet. There's so much talk about the climate problem, and rightly so, by the way, at the moment, uh, and, and global warming and so forth, and the change to weather conditions. But so often, people talking about it say, we've got to do this for the sake of our children and the sake of our grandchildren. 
No, we've got to do this for the sake of all life. We've got to do this for the sake of the planet upon which we live. It's not limited just to our own personal uh, connections. In one of the most demanding lines in the 12 blessings, the Master Jesus states this about those who love. It's in the third blessing. Some of you will know it. And if you don't, don't worry. I do recommend, by the way, if you want to serve, 12blessings.org. Regular activities, services are held there. You can join in. Don't even have to know what the 12 blessings are. You'll find out and you can send out love energy to the world. 12blessings.org. With a one, two blessings is how it's uh, put in. But Master Jesus stated this. They love not any man because they love all. That's a very demanding statement there in the third blessing. And it's rare to see a love like that demonstrating in our world. It's so often personalized, which is what he means there. They don't do that. They love all. And you see it in the lives of the greatest among us. And I definitely saw it in the persona of Dr. George King. He had, by the way, a most wonderful compassion for those he taught and a great love for those of us who were fortunate enough to be his personal friends. He did. And, of course, his dear wife, Monique. But there was never any doubt whatsoever that throughout his life, his motivating force was a love for those he'd never met, for those whose actions and behavior he didn't even agree with, even for those whom you'd call dark forces. He fought them, but he still had a love for them. That's the secret of his warriorship, you might say, too. And you can see why Mars Sector 6 describes enlightenment as the lasting flower in the garden. Um, sorry, that's wrong. You can see why Mars Sector 6 describes service as the lasting flower in the Garden of Enlightenment. I think you can see it in your own life. Uh, the things we looked upon, the memories we cherished, the things we're proud of, uh, not are the moments when we've helped others, not ourselves. Those are the things that really stay. They're the really lasting things. When we've bequeathed something of value to a particular community, if we've done that, or even better for the world as a whole. And that's why our motto on this show is service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. The rest of the rock may be composed of ordinary sandstone, but the service we've given is a gemstone. And I think that's very important. And we've discussed the many, many ways of giving service. But I would just say this, for those who are not sure, I recommend the book, Realize Your Inner Potential. You can say I'm biased because I was a co-author of it. But the main author, of course, was Dr. King. And there are practices in there you can use. Uh, you can use them every day. A lot of us do, and they will really give spiritual service to the world. So undoubtedly, uh, there are many other, by the way, beneficial practices taught by other teachers. We're certainly not saying these are the only ones. There are lots of uh, healing methods and so on, which are undoubtedly giving spiritual service. But in the end, uh, it's action that really counts and it's love love in the way that we have described it here uh, or that mars sector six have described it in practical action through work through effort through prayer through mantra through healing in the numerous ways that you can choose to give service as as mars sector six says there 
You just have to look around you. You see ignorance, suffering, <clears throat> want, hate, greed, selfishness, war, murder, robbery. You don't have to look very far how young people are being deluded to see ways to give service. Now, I'm absolutely delighted now to be introducing our second guest on the Spiritual Freedom Show today. Uh, and that is actually it's the first time we've had her on the show. Hopefully it won't be the last. That's Elizabeth Martin, again, who I've known for decades. She grew up in New Zealand. She's been a member of the Ethereum Society for almost 30 years and on the staff for almost 25. She serves on the committee at the New Zealand branch, and she leads many services and other spiritual activities there and works very, very hard. I know I've had the pleasure to visit that branch um, on several occasions, and it's a wonderful group there, wonderful group of people and a wonderful branch indeed in Auckland in New Zealand. And today, in keeping with our theme, she's going to be leading us in a prayer that you can use for inspiration, strength and upliftment in your service and in your work, and that is called the Prayer for Spiritual Workers. So welcome to Elizabeth Martin. Well, thank you, Richard. Um, it's wonderful to be here. And yes, today I'm going to do the prayer for spiritual workers. Now, this is a wonderful prayer that was given by the Master Jesus through Dr. King on the 22nd of December of 1962. And it is a prayer that anyone can say, which will bring them comfort and upliftment to help you to go forward in your life, knowing that you are not alone. Now, the Master Jesus advises, say this prayer with your heart and with your soul when the world is cold to you and you will be warmed. Say it when you are down and you will be lifted. Say it when you are alone and you will be comforted by a presence. Say it when you fail and you will succeed. Say it when you die and you will live. Say it so that you may gain sufficient power and strength to do greater things. So with those words, I would like to invite all those who are listening and would like to join in by raising your hands so they are roughly parallel with the top of your shoulders palms facing forwards in front of you, fingers together, and now visualize a beautiful white light, a brilliant white light, and draw this down from above the head and bring this down into the heart center, which is a few inches in front of the breastbone outside of the physical body. And also visualize this white light flowing down the arms to the hands and out through the centers in each palm. I will now start with this prayer. Almighty God, I bless all those who because of their limitations would smite me. Almighty God, I bless all those who because of their weakness would not heed me. Almighty God, I bless all those 
who because of their ignorance would defile you through me. And I ask, O mighty God, O wondrous power, that your strength may be given to me now, so that I might be fortified by this, so that I might go forward bravely into the world, and despite reception, send forth my love of thee throughout all races of man. Almighty God, give me the power and strength to rise above my karmic weakness, the deficiencies in the pattern of my evolution, so that I might evolve and become stronger, I and even stronger, in thy everlasting light. O oh God, thy will be done. Now we need to do the sealing mudra, which is to cut off the flow of the energy and to do this by brushing the right palm over the left palm, away from yourself just once. Well, thank you, everyone. And I would just like to mention that you can find this prayer in the back of the book entitled The Nine Freedoms by Dr. King. Gosh, that was absolutely beautiful, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for leading us in, in that so beautifully. And that, I must agree with Elizabeth, is the most wonderful prayer. I've used it very regularly myself, and so do hundreds of others, probably thousands of others around the world. And uh, it can really help you and really help you at those times when you feel up against a corner or you feel you're being attacked, uh, even maybe by people close to you. And it does bring you great protection and give you great strength. So thank you for choosing that, Elizabeth Martin, and for leading us in that beautiful prayer. And at this point, I want to bring back Darren, our producer, uh, who I think has some comments, some questions to make, and perhaps some comments of his own. Darren Ball. All right. Thanks, Richard. So um, yeah, just before I get to another question here, I'd just like to invite everybody listening to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app, share it with somebody so that more people can have the spiritual opportunity to hear these teachings of Mars Sector 6. I've got a couple here, Richard, that I think relate to uh, what you've shared here further on the show. And the first one is about karma mm. and how that might relate to service. So this person asks, can one be forgiven by karma? For example, can one do so many good things in order to wash away the old bad sins that one has committed? Yes. I, well, I think that question, Darren, it really redefines what it means to be forgiven because <laughs> yeah. he's, he, he or she is not really sort of saying that you're just given a blanket pardon and some certain, well, let's face it, the Orthodox Christian Church might say, um, you know, you do a confession or you, or perhaps you don't even do a confession. You just uh, ask God and you're forgiven. Um, you, he's right or she's right. You have to wash yourself free of those sins, if you want to call them sins. In other words, and the word I think that would be most relevant to the, to the nine freedoms would be transmute. 
You have mm. to transmute your negative karma through your actions, and that's what it's all of course. If we couldn't do that, we could never evolve beyond a certain point, and that's what the whole process is. I mean, we all come into this life with karma from many lives, and we're burning it up, you might say. That's another phrase, and, and, the, and that's the great thing again about service. It's not the best motive to do it in order to improve your own karma, but there's nothing wrong because it's best to do service as love in practical action, uh, as we're saying on the show today. But there's nothing wrong at all. In fact, it's a good thing to know that when you do this, you're also helping yourself. And one thing you're definitely doing is transmuting karma, negative karma, and turning it into positive karma. Yeah, I think actually one thing that this reminds me of, I believe um, Dr. King said in a lecture somewhere that um, we, we should not really, it's illogical to be forgiven our karma per se, because it would leave a weakness in our pattern of experience, the experience yes. which is taking us back to the Godhead, you know, as conscious gods. And I, um, that for me, I think completely reframed the way that I, that I thought about karma and experience and, you know, that it's not about a punishment at all, but it's these essential lessons that can take us to our enlightenment. Yes, you've reminded me of something that Dr. King said in 1967, Darren, and we have quoted this before, but it's so good. I'm going to quote it again. And he said this. It's slightly different, but it's on the same topic. There are people on this earth who have too much experience to be able to experience experience as it should be experienced. I mean, that's a humdinger of a quote, I think. And you have to uh, think about it. And, and, you know, because lots of people think they've got to go off and have this, you know, you can't sort of, um, you can't know anything until you've experienced it. You can know a lot without experience in everything. You don't have to be a, a, you know, a criminal to know that being a criminal is wrong. You can just work that out yourself and you can realize it from within and so on. So there are people who are having too much experience, but what we do have to have is our essential experience. That, I think, is what he meant by experience, experience as it should be experienced. And you're right, and that sort of backs up your point or your other quote from Dr. King. You would deny yourself the essential experience if you were forgiven, and you wouldn't learn. You know, that's that's the reason that uh, beings from other worlds are being asked all the time, why don't they just come down and land here and help us? If they would be robbing us of essential experience. That's why they don't. Not that they couldn't, and not that they wouldn't like to in many ways. Yeah, and they can absolutely see that. And uh, you know, while while to us, without that wisdom, it's it seems, in uh, it seems inexplicable to them. It's the absolute essence of their uh, spiritual logic and their absolutely. understanding of the whole. Absolutely. Mm. And another question here from someone I think relates to something you've said in the first half of the show, where you've talked about um, you know Kundalini and the chakras, and particularly how the different faces open um, yeah. uh, in the true expression of love. And this person has asked. Um, you know, I have a question about something you mentioned. You mentioned the dangers of wrong practice of Kundalini. And could you please mention what would be that wrong practice? I thought like, you might be able to elaborate that in the context of service that you talked about today, Richard. Yes, it's, it's, it's well, it, it, wrong. I don't know whether I use that word wrong, but it's certainly dangerous. And uh, it's not necessarily natural. Uh, what I'm referring to when I say that is forcibly, forcing Kundalini. I, I think the whole essence of spiritual development, including mental development, including concentration, actually, is unforced effort. That's the two words I would use, unforced effort. And people will do certain, and I've seen them, I know certain of these practices, I don't use them, 
methods whereby they physically adopt certain postures. Uh, I'm, not, I'm certainly not going to teach them because I wouldn't recommend them um, and do things which will cause Kundalini to move uh, more quickly than it than a natural cause. Um, and the trouble with that is it can be dangerous because you have no control over it and you can come unstuck because the Kundalini is a great force. It's a wonderful force, but it empowers everything. And if you aren't in, a, in an emotionally balanced state, for example, um, it will empower your imbalances, which might, for example, be um, a violent temper, uh, might be some other kind of habit. And Dr. King has drawn attention to the dangers of mixing uh, Kundalini yoga with sexual practice. Um, so it's, it's, it's much better done as the Nine Freedoms says, serve and the mighty power of Kundalini will rise in natural, unforced fashion and open the chakra jewels in your higher bodies. In will pour inspiration and you'll be standing on the verge of the initiation into adeption. I think that must be, Darren, what the question is referring to. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think that's great clarity to offer people and the essence of what we teach in the Thirusadi and on this show too. Yeah, and I think um, it's what. Sorry, I won't. I won't interrupt you again. But I think it's wonderful to know, though, that the the raising of the kundalini, the opening of the chakras, is going on through love in practical action. Oh, absolutely. And I think um, uh, if listen, go back to uh, a previous show that that you did on that. Um, I think is absolutely inspiring to me to know that it's. Uh, through service that we can find enlightenment because we've often felt as you've as you've talked about before that some people feel as if they are giving that up by choosing this path and by choosing to serve others when in fact it is absolutely the way to find that enlightenment exactly and that's a good note to end on and of course and they are very um you know there are moments of sacrifice yes there are moments when you're not thinking of your own development because you're too you're more focused not too focused but more focused on helping others and in the short term, yes, that might hold you up. And, and if you are sacrificing, there's one thing you can absolutely guarantee, and that's karma too, that it must come to you. What you give up for the right reason must come to you. And it will come to you, but it will come in that natural, unforced fashion. Well, I really want to thank you, uh, Darren Ball, our producer. I also want to thank our two excellent guests who have been kind enough to stay up at a different hour from us and join us Uh, from New Zealand, from Auckland. That's Frank McManus and Elizabeth Martin. I think we've had a really good show today. And uh, I think there's a lot we can draw on this just to remind you of our theme today, that service is love in practical action, love in the real sense of what it is. And if we do that, we'll start to manifest the natural inner contemplative abilities and it will lead us towards enlightenment. And that's by remembering that service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. 